Good morning. My name is Stephen Riley. I'm lead pastor here at Living Waters Church. It's a privilege to serve you in this way. And um, I am doing a part two message today of uh, He is patient towards you and really depending on God to help me uh, preach this in His Word um, as, as would please Him. I want to mention some several dates here or, or kind of piggyback off of what Philip has already said. We've got a lineup of great preachers in June. Next Sunday, June 12th, David Rock is going to be preaching. That's right. The Sunday after that, uh, Sean Ellis, Katie and family, uh, Sean will be preaching on the 19th. Uh, then on Wednesday, uh, Sean will be here in the gathering place sharing on the 22nd. On Saturday the 25th, we'll have that men's event with the, uh, the shootout and the grill out. And uh, yeah, there you go, get excited. And then on the 26th, Chuck Stecker will be speaking both at the men's event and the Sunday morning on the 26th. Chuck Stecker, if you haven't heard him before, he's a character, he really is. And uh, what a guy, he's a um, retired Army Ranger. Ranger. Uh, he's uh, worked in the Pentagon for a season and promise keeper when he was out and retired and promise keepers and so forth, and just uh, travels the world in men's ministry and uh, intergenerational family ministry. So you're, you're going you're gonna to want to be here when he's here. It's just a, a unique experience. So a great month coming out to Living Waters. So I do want to review a little bit from last week as a part two message to kind of connect those who were not here last Sunday and also connect... Uh, our minds to the, the theme here. I started off with this verse, Second Peter 3, 9, and Julia's already uh, opened up with this verse during her, her encouragements. But it says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we ask that Your Word... Uh, that is alive by your Spirit. Lord, teach us, show us, reveal to us truth for us. And Lord, we pray for transformation uh, by your Holy Spirit in our lives today and ongoing. Amen. So God is clear in His Word that He is desiring that none perish and not know Him and go to hell not know Him and live a life of self and just the consequences of their own sin and others without, without any protection, any relief, any freedom from guilt. He wishes His desires for all to repent. And so that means when He created each person and then He was willing to die for each person, God wants us to have that same type of heart for them. He even says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for our leaders and those in authority. Even the ones you don't like and you didn't vote for and you're upset that they're in office. But to pray for them and you'll find that when you do pray for somebody on a regular basis, you'll see them differently. You may not agree with them anymore. You may not uh, vote for them next time. But your heart has a growing compassion for them when you pray for somebody on a regular basis. You see them not for some distant figure, but now you're praying for them 
and your heart goes out to them. And he says in that chapter, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, that God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I challenged this last week, and we stopped for a moment to pray for the most unlikely person you have in your realm, and your sphere of influence, that you would pray that they would be saved. That you've, you've seen them say no to Christ and, and kind of go the, just reject Him and His ways and go in the opposite direction. You're thinking, how in the world could this... They've just said no so often. Listen, the Apostle Paul was called Saul, and he was the most unlikely person in his age to be saved, to be saved as a persecutor of Christians. And he did. The Holy Spirit broke through. And so, let's do it again. Let's just stop for a moment. Think of the most unlikely person in your realm, relatives, friends, a neighbor, a colleague, and let's pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, you died for that man, that woman, that young man, that young woman, that boy or girl. You died for them. And you love them so much. Despite what they're saying or doing, your Holy Spirit is at work. We pray, Lord God, that you reveal yourself to them in the night. Uh, Lord God, in the day, in any dramatic way, it doesn't matter how subtle or, or dramatic, Lord, you break through the callousness, the hardness, and reveal yourself that they too could receive the wonderful, precious mercy of God and be cleansed by your blood and be made new. In Jesus' name, amen. I really start this way in this message because I want us to be careful, uh, and I'm talking to me, that I don't, I don't want my passion to override my compassion. God can use both of them. And so in this day and age where there is an evil rising in our culture, we are still as maturing people carrying both the passion of God and also the compassion of God. And so I'm going to revisit our Matthew 18 passage and, and, and revisit it for a moment. I'm going to then uh, later in the passage, uh, in the sermon, come back to Matthew 18. But in Matthew 18, starting at verse 1, there is this uh, scenario where the disciples are trying to, uh, you know, find out who's the best, and they're bragging, and they're trying to get position, trying to find out who Jesus likes the most. And they say, then who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus totally, you know, tricked them in a sense, turned the tables on him and say, listen. Well, he's, first he just got a little child, and he brought him in, and he said it, set this little boy or girl in front of them. And he said in verse 3 of Matthew 18, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So we see this priority in the eyes of God that... Really, uh, there is this model faith, this childlike faith that God has for us. That we are uh, humble before Him. And, and when a 
person becomes a Christian for the first time, even though they might be 56 years old like me, they suddenly become a, like a brand new baby, reborn with so much to learn and to grow. I want to skip in just talking about this passage for a little bit here. And I want to say that later on in this passage, verse 11, Jesus goes on and says, uh, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And he goes into the, the parable, the story of a lost sheep. That he leaves the righteous, the 99 righteous, to go after the one who's lost. Folks, we might see in a crowd on TV some parade going on and we're thinking, Oh, look how awful those people are. Let me tell you, there's probably a grandmother, there's probably a relative praying for that one, and Jesus sees them as a lost sheep. It could be one of our friends or relatives who we're praying for, and in our hearts we have compassion and they're lost sheep. See, it takes both to, uh, in, in our maturity, and this is harder than it looks. They have both compassion and passion. Because usually our personalities and even God's kind of gifting in us leans one way or the other. And so really, we all (laughs) have to deal with this and work on the other side. It is part of us becoming more like Christ and being sanctified. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul is speaking. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That is a key to our maturity, is to be not blind to our tendency and realize we need to work on the other side. We want to be more like Christ. We want to be more like Paul. We want to grow in maturity, speaking the truth in love, to grow up and mature in all, all, all aspects into Jesus Christ. Jesus is our example. It says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the nature of Jesus. He poured out love in His ministry, in His life. He poured out grace. But He spoke directly the truth. Did He not? And He spoke mostly uh, confrontively with the religious leaders. Those who are broken, those who are caught in sin or bound to sin, He preached hope and a message of forgiveness that you can be transformed. It was to the religious leaders who were hypocrites, who were pretending that He confronted most directly with the truth. I was going back to last week's message, and I like to hear and, and even ask for comments about my message. And a couple of people said, Stephen, you were more political than usual last week. And, and wondering, you know, is it, are you going to always be this way? Are you going to just so political, you know, and, and just kind of wondering about that and what to expect. And, and my, my response is, well, I'm not going to argue with that. But... Many political issues, or some, if not many, are biblical issues as well. And I, as a preacher of the whole Word of God, have got to have freedom to teach out of the Bible and speak about biblical issues that might just happen to be political issues as well. 
Because you and I, we have to be reminded how to think biblically. As Philip said, there's, there, there's a thousand voices coming out of us. We've got to filter it, filter it through the Bible, through the Word of God. Because if we don't, then we will uh, miss that things will come through that our minds won't catch and say, hold on, caution, caution, we need, to, we need to test that. We need to check that in the Word. Is that really, is that godly? Is that something that we should be receiving right now? And so what I focused on last week, and I'm going to just do a, a, a quick jump into that and jump out so I can keep moving in the direction of the message today. But I said that the far left agenda has joined with the LGBTQ agenda, and there is a demonic attack on children today. We know the pro-abortion attack on the unborn being unprotected, but there is a now an attack on children where there is a great wave of promotion to say, hey, your gender is fluid. Hey, your uh, sexual orientation, you can experiment and try one or the other. And in and, and, and not taking this seriously and yet just pushing it on children and young people. It's, it's actually even just illogical to think about that you would do this to children. And I was watching a YouTube video from a transgender person. It was uh, a woman who was a transgender man who years and years ago, when they were young, did all the, uh, the, 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 the hormones and all the surgeries and so forth. And, and now she's uh, older in her... He's, you know, she's about 50s or so, maybe 60, with a beard, a gray beard. I mean, she's older. And she's saying, this is dangerous to do this to children. She said, this is a serious decision. This is a lifelong decision. It should only be done, if you're going to do it, it should be for adults who go through therapy sessions to, to get help first to, and, and then make a decision. And, and you wouldn't, shouldn't do this to a child's body and giving them things to change their body before puberty. That is dangerous. This person had common sense. I'll reread Matthew 18, verse 6 and 7. It says, but whoever, and this is Jesus still talking in this passage, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a, healthy, a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of his stumbling blocks, but it is, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Folks, this is serious in the eyes of God. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit knows how to take someone who's promoting this on children and, and, and they will be judged if they never repent and judged justly and perfectly. But God also, hearts breaks for them and has compassion. He still died for them. His blood is shed for them. I want to say that if, if you have children in public school in Shelby County or grandchildren, and you know there's evidence that administrators, teachers, and staff are promoting this to children, and you have evidence of that, I am willing to, 
to be a partner or a resource or help to you to bring it to the appropriate channels, be it a school board or administration, to stop this. There's a lot going on nationally, and you can just, you know, it's every day on the news. I was talking to a, a Shelby County full-time substitute person who had been in just these past few years, like a full-time substitute in many of the high school classrooms every day. And he could confirm that, yes, among the student body, the LGBTQ agenda is just, is just prevalent among themselves. I asked specifically teachers and administrators, what, are they promoting this? And he couldn't, he couldn't be definitive about that. I'm glad, but I'm, I'm wanting to understand where we are in our local schools. Because God wants us to protect the children. And this demonic attack on this very important, deep area of their life They need protection. I have been so grateful for the book entitled Holy Sexuality in the Gospel written by Christopher Ewan. It is rich with theology, good uh, application of scriptures, and a deeper level of looking at not just a homosexual issue, but holiness in our lives in general. He's someone in the story of his life that he did. He was a homosexual. He was a drug addict and was actually ended up being in prison because of his criminal drug use and so forth. And came to Christ and his mom was a praying mom there. His first book is a book by him and his mom wrote about that story. He ended up becoming a Bible student and then a professor and so forth and he's uh, I believe, working on his doctorate, maybe has his doctorate, and he's a professor at Moody Bible Institute today. And you can tell that in the writing of this particular book that there's a depth in it biblically that is challenging. And he's spent years not only living a transformation life uh, in his own life, but helping others and has done uh, a lot on with Christian college students who are dealing with same-sex desires and, and helping them. So he's very, very knowledgeable. And I want to go into uh, a couple of areas that I'm entitling reaching the heart of your homosexual or transgender friend, and then a couple of more areas about God's sanctifying work for all of us, no matter what sin issues we're dealing with. So reaching out to our homosexual or transgender, transgender friend or relative or co-worker, is you have to build a trusting relationship. This is a biblical concept to do this. This is Paul uh, talks about how uh, though he's free from all men and that he didn't have to do anything to please anybody, but he said, I made myself a slave to all. So that, that I may win more. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he goes on to talk about, for Jews, I'm going to be uh, under the law. They're under the law, so I'm going to live and talk like that and understand that. I'm going to follow all the Jewish uh, laws and, and 
share Christ out of that experience with them. And he goes on and lists some more, and I'm going to start reading there in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. He says, To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So he says, hey, those Gentiles who don't have any kind of uh, Jewish religious background, they don't have the Ten Commandments and they just live life however they want to, there is still the law of Christ, which is pretty simple. Isn't it? The golden rule is to do others as you would have them do to you. It's pretty simple. Or love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God, Jesus keeps it simple. But those that are not on the law, these Gentiles, I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to get to know what makes them tick. I'm going to, he calls it, be a slave to them. I'm going to connect with them. Here's another verse he says in verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So what does that look like? It's someone who's weak. Perhaps they're not even asking questions. You, you almost can hardly even talk to them about the gospel because they're so weak. They're just so needy. What they're doing is they just need help. Whatever is, is overwhelming them and they need someone to care, someone to be a resource person, come alongside them, walk through with them in their suffering. And then discussions start where they're at and the issues and the questions they have. Not because you read this latest book and it's really cool and you've got to really get it to them. No, it's you start where they're at with those talks, questions, and discussions. It's the person who's weak. They just need help. Let's go on and let's look at another aspect of reaching the heart of a homosexual transgender friend. That, uh, Christopher Ewan, the author, says, share Jesus, not morality. Share Jesus, not morality. See, that is what we are sent to do. In Acts 1.8, I've read it this morning when we started the service, but you and I, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in right in Jerusalem where those disciples were at the time. They were in, in, in the city of Jerusalem. Those who are near you, around you, in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, a little farther out, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. But we start with those who are around us. I was realizing this week as I was kind of counting that I, I, have, uh, I have seven people in my sphere of influence, I don't know, know their name. I do run into them. I see them right now who are either homosexuals or they are in transgender or they're dealing and struggling. They're Christians who are dealing with those same-sex attractions. Back in the 90s when I was a youth pastor here and church edu- education director, twice I remember running into and making a connection. They didn't last very long with homosexual one was at a country store out here in the country and it was that was probably 1990 i was so long ago i can't even remember what store it was but it the extroverted self that i am you know and ended up striking up a conversation with somebody and found out who he was and 
kind of started a little, little uh, 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 acquaintance there and ended up having lunch with him and exchanged phone numbers and had some connection there for a little while. And then he, he was kind of living in, and ended up being in Louisville and just stopped contacting. But he was homosexual and I was trying to plant seeds into his heart of the love of Jesus Christ. A few years later, I was and our family was at lunch in Frankfurt and ended up striking a conversation there with, uh, I, was, uh, I was married and had little kids, but strike a conversation with a young man there, and we ended up exchanging phone numbers, and he asked me to come over for dinner. In that phone call, I got a little uncomfortable. Didn't feel right, and I asked a good old friend of mine to come join me, and I said, hey, I'm going to bring a friend. He said, okay, I'll have a friend too. We walked into this apartment and Frankfurt, and what was on the walls was like, oh, goodness, I'm glad that I brought a friend with me. Didn't really want to be in here by myself. And we planted seeds of the love and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That didn't go any farther. But right now, I have seven people right now in my sphere of influence. Where I live, work, or go in my community. This is not going away, folks. It is part of the harvest of God. The harvest that He has for us to experience. So be, let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Here's a verse for us. Romans 10, 14, 15. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Oh, well, see, that, that, I'm not a preacher, Stephen, so this doesn't apply to me. That you're the preacher. You and Pastor Philip, y'all do a great job. Y'all are preachers. No, you're, you've been a dude with power. You've been given power from on high. You are called to be witnesses right where you live, right in the area where you live, and then beyond and beyond some more. You are sent one with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world is in you. It's in your heart. It's in your lips. You are strategically placed on this earth to be a preacher. And what do you bring? Uh, not necessarily that you're going to be opening up your Bible and pointing fingers at people at work, but you carry the truth and love of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 of this Romans 10 says, How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. See, you... You preach, you demonstrate how wonderful Jesus has, how good He is, how marvelous, how gracious and merciful He is in your life. How amazing and awesome He is. These are good things. He's so good. He has a good heart, a shepherd's heart, a father's heart. You bring that message of good news, of good things. How beautiful are your feet. You bring this this message of hope that they don't have to live in bondage and of despair and depression any longer. But through Jesus Christ, He has delivered us. You bring that hope of good news. One thing that Christopher says, and he, and he puts a good chapter, maybe more, maybe a couple chapters on in on this. He talks about our inner kind of uh, our, um, we need to adjust our view of singleness. Because sometimes we're thinking, okay, we need to get this homosexual person straight. If we can just get them straight and, and they have uh, conversion therapy to c- convert them back to 
uh, you know, being straight, maybe that's the answer. He says, no, it's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And he says, it's not, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with the, you know, this homosexual uh, temptations. We need to get them in a relationship with the opposite gender. They need to have a romantic relationship. And then they need to get married and have children. And then they're free and they're alive. No, maybe not, folks. It's Jesus who is the answer. It's Jesus who makes us complete. And he says, hey, singleness is wholeness in Christ. There's no lack in singleness when you're in Christ. You're as fulfilled and complete as anyone in heaven. We won't have marriage with other people. We, it better be whole. Because we're going to be in eternity. We won't have marriage with humans. We'll be married to Christ. And that's what we start now. When we say yes to Jesus, we come into an a, a engagement with Christ that is a permanent engagement until the wedding supper of the Lamb of heaven. Jesus was single. He was a pretty whole person. The Apostle Paul never got married. He was pretty whole, wasn't he? He didn't need to get married to finally get to fully freedom. No, no, that was, that was, he was right in God's will. And so we do not want to walk with a, a sense of, well, until you get straight or until you end up, you know, getting romantic with the right person, then you're free. No, you're free in Christ and whole in Christ. I want to go deeper into uh, this understanding of sanctification and sexual purity. This is God's sanctifying work in all of us, that God will convict of sin and, and that it's primarily the original sin, and then transform us in a, a lifetime of a journey with God. And I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And what I'm going to do, uh, David, I'm going to read through all these verses and then come back and, and look more deeply in each verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. What a long list there. Let's look at them. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 9, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. That's the end of the verse. Fornicators, what's the difference, you know, with fornicators and other uh, um, promiscuous sins? Fornicators is, the Greek comes from the Greek word pornea where we get the word pornography. And it's an impurity, a sexual perversion, where it looks at the opposite sex as just objects for sexual perversion. There's no relationship, there's no bonding there, there's no emotional bonding over time through relationship. It is all just, it's just pure lust of 
looking at that person with greed and selfishness. Idolaters, what idolaters were in that day, they was easier to pick out because they had religious uh, practices where they would have actual gold and silver, wooden uh, idols, perhaps representing even something in nature. But it's something that they would depend on or trust in, and we can develop idolatry in our heart when something else takes our devotion more than Jesus Christ. That He's just on the back burner for Sunday mornings. But all during the week, your heart's devoted and might be you. To yourself, a selfishness where you're king on your heart. It could be something else, something that you love to do, and that is actually the Lord and ruler of your life. Don't give yourself to that. Let the Holy Spirit teach you how to make Him Lord of your life. Adulterers is the next on the list. How is that different from fornicators? Adulterers are those who are unfaithful, but it's uh, sexually and in uh, in your heart, but it's through bonding to where uh, the, the, the story of the uh, person at work who's married, but be through a collegial working friendship over time gets... Uh, has a, a bonding, a friendship, and then that friendship opens the door to temptation, sexual temptation, and that opens the door for a, a, a unfaithful act to the marriage because one or both might be married. And that is, so it's a sexual act that's unfaithful to God and to the marriage, but it happened through bonding over time. Still a sin and still here not any... Uh, you know, recognized in any kind of order here. None of this is recognized in any order, is it? They don't give a sense of what's the worst here. It's just sin. That those who give themselves to this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor effeminate. Uh, looked at the Greek there, and this is the, uh, it's, it's a perverted, purposely pursuing a effeminacy, effeminacy, then, and it's, it's not a personality trait or something like that. I would say equivalent for today's culture would be like a drag queen type mentality of perverting and purposely being effeminate. The next one is homosexuals. The, the desire and the, uh, the, the building relationships and, and, and uh, sexual contact with those of the same sex. You know, I wish, you know, it'd be like, hey, let's have a new, a different type of, of uh, you know, um, order here. Because maybe verse 10, well, there's, it's all in the same list, isn't it? And I want to ask you, are you the kind of person that's a safe person? That there could be a believer, a friend, maybe even not a believer, but a friend that knows you and if they were honest with you about the struggles of their life, being in fornication, idolatry, adultery, effeminacy, or homosexuality, could they share those with you and you, you receive that, heart, that broken heart? Because that is a key to being set free, that you confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. That they are known, that they humble themselves before God because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Are you the type of friend or relatives that they could share you confidentially this struggle of their sin? And that's one perspective that he's writing to because he wants to help Christians. He needs sometimes helps himself. Because he says, listen, in temptation, because you're tempted, doesn't mean that you've sinned, right? So people would ask him, uh, as a believing uh, Christian who is being transformed and is living what I've seen from what I can tell and watching him, listening to him and reading about him, he seems to be a godly man from all I can tell. But he'll get the question, do you uh, struggle with same-sex attraction? Do you ever get tempted with same-sex attraction? And he's like, well, uh, does the person who has been, uh, you know, delivered from pornography and they are uh, walking a Christian godly life, do they ever get tempted by pornography again? Could they? And still be a godly man or woman? So he says, that's really, that's really not, a, that's not a relevant question. Because Jesus was even tempted in all ways, was he not? So temptation itself is not a condition or sign that you are in sin. Let's go on, verse 10. Nor thieves, nor the covetous. The covetous is more an internal temptation in it where there's greed that you're not content you're always wanting more nothing's that ever enough jesus christ your relationship with jesus christ is not a lot is not enough you feel like you have lack here and there and there and you give yourself to this greed drunkards and i would say that type of uh, uh drunkards in that day to alcohol would also be similar to addiction to drugs today revilers who would be slanderers, mockers, those who uh, just condemn and judge everybody and everything and give themselves to that, swindlers, those who cheat and deceive, that is what they do, this is what they pursue. It says, these will do not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Stephen, there's one or two, there's several of these that are true of my past. They're true of my history, my, what I've dealt with. In fact, I, if I was going to be honest, I, I deal with a lot of temptation in this area, that area. Verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, my friend. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You need to understand the powerful work of God, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit mentioned here. That is at work in you right now. And that this is in a powerful instantaneous work and an ongoing work. You have being washed Wash is so powerful. Because all of us will just constantly live in a state of uh, guilt and shame without being washed by the blood of Christ. 
When we come to know Christ, we're washed by the blood. And our sins are washed away and the guilt and the shame are so associated. You need to hear that because some of you were so used to talking about the guilt of our sin and the condemnation we walk around. But there's a shame as well. I've always looking back and say, oh, I'm an adulterer. Oh, I'm a fornicator. Oh, I'm a homosexual. I'm a always this. I'm a... No, let me tell you, that is of the past. Those are lies. You are free of that shame. Walk tall. Jesus receives you and He's made you clean and cleansed. It says that you are justified. Justified is that powerful instantaneous work where because Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross and rose from the grave, He can give you His righteousness. That you're saved now and forever. You're a child of God now and forever. And then it opens the door that now you can walk out in holiness of your life. Sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing work of our lives, our minds, our souls. Our hearts uh, where Jesus lives is good. Our heart is good now. And the flesh has been kicked out of the throne of our hearts. The flesh still tempts us and is used by the devil to tempt us. But our hearts are, are good and clean. We are instructed to guard our hearts and to keep them pure and to so, and not allow them to get soft and, uh, excuse me, callous or tough and hard. This is something God wants to take us seriously in. And I want to go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says, uh, in verse 8 and 9, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. See, there's things that you do with your hands, with the remote, things with their, you're doing in, with your hands that God... Jesus is saying, it's as serious as cutting off your hand. Don't cut off your hand, folks. Jesus, did, he didn't have his disciples with one-handed disciples and his, his 12, okay? He, this is a powerful illustration. And that's, it's, not a, it's a form of speaking to drive home the point. Take it seriously as if you were going to cut your hand. How painful, how painful would it be to remove that in your life that what you're touching and using with your hands is causing you to stumble. It's called a stumbling block. It's causing you to stumble. It's going to hurt. You're, going to, it's going to, you're not going to want to do this. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Cut it off, folks. Because you may end up giving yourself to that, becoming that, and not inheriting the kingdom of God. Where your feet cut off your foot. If it's taking you in places and things that are unholy and God, God, ungodly, you know that. It's as painful as cutting it off. You're not going to want to do it. But do it because you do not want to let it take you into a place where this is what you give yourself to. And now you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This scripture goes on. If your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. This is the easiest portal to our soul and to our mind is what we see and read and look at. And with today's 
phones and computers and what's on TV. It is the, it's, it's trick number one. It's basic holiness number one. 101 is, yes, you must choose where you direct your eyes. And you're accountable for that. And if you can't control, cut, pluck it out. Get rid of it. Pluck it out. It would be better to go to heaven and with one eye than in hell with both in 2020 vision. This is a sanctifying work for all of us. The praise team could go ahead and come on up here. I thought that this was a two-part series. My next point in God's sanctifying work for us is the key to freedom is identity in Christ. And I want to tell you for me personally, identity in Christ has been so liberating and has been um, a, a understanding of, of myself being in Christ, being in Him, and that it, it does establish my identity this is so important in our walk in holiness. I'm so looking forward to the next, God willing, if God doesn't change something and all that. But take this particular point, and this is where we'll start, is this whole understanding of holiness, sanctification, and identity in Christ. We're, we're going to just jump in there. I'll have some resources for you as well at that time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. That such were some of us. That's not who we are anymore. I don't accept that identity of my past to be true of me today. Such were some of you But we, we were washed by the blood of Jesus. Our guilt and shame, hallelujah. We were justified, given your righteousness, Lord, and placed in your family, in your kingdom forever. And Lord, you're sanctifying us, transforming us. And Lord, I'm praying, Lord, this is, this is th- this faith of being released that we can be transformed and that you are transforming us. Thank you, Lord, that though we may have temptations in a certain area and even struggle there, that's not who we are. We're, we're in Christ. We're in you. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the King. I'm a daughter of King Jesus. So Lord, take us, in, take us deeper in this sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit over us, Lord God.
I'm going to ask uh, our altar ministry team folks to come out here to the side right here. And I, you can do the last song. Let's do that. Just stay where you are and you can be seated. Let this last song just be a part of your prayer. If you need prayer for anything, it could even be something physical going on that you might have a test coming up, a procedure. I want to encourage you to get anointed with oil and get prayed for. Feel free to come down. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've been far away for months, years, that's okay. This is a great day to choose to come back. You might be online this morning or watching later on in the week. We have a phone number there for the 30 minutes here on Sunday morning. You can call and receive prayer. I'm going to say a salvation prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to join with me so that those who need to come back or make Jesus Lord of their life can do that in this prayer right now. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I might be far from you, but you're drawing me near. I choose you this morning. Come into my heart. Wash me clean of all my guilt and shame. Those sins are in the past and forgiven now. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. I am yours now and forever. I call you Lord of my life. Nothing else taking my attention. Help me live for you all the days of my life. That's a real prayer for you this morning in a fresh way. Please tell somebody so we can walk with you in your discipleship. Your glory is so beautiful.